0: Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks.
1: Hey, everybody, and thanks for coming back and joining us again. My name is Gene Marks. You're here on the Paychex Thrive podcast, and I am talking with David Madlin. David is a senior fellow and a senior advisor to the American Worker Project at American Progress. So first of all, David, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad that you're here.
0: Thank, Thanks very much for having me.
1: Sure. Where am I speaking to you from? Where are you at right now?
0: I'm in Washington, D.C.
1: Very good. I just traveled through Reagan International Airport yesterday and uh, Washington is busy. (laughs) You know, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, things are picking back up. You know, the pandemic's, we're not fully there, and downtown's still a little bit vacant, but we're definitely picking up.
1: It is, it really is. So, David, first of all, tell us a little bit about American Progress and tell us a little bit about the American Worker Project and what your involvement is with it.
0: So, the Center for American Progress is a think tank based in Washington, D.C. Um, we research all areas, economic policy, national security energy, environment, um, education, and the like. And the American Worker Project is a specific project there that focuses on, it's kind of the economy from the worker's perspective. Um, how do we ensure that workers have good jobs with good wages and benefits? And I've been leading the, the team there for 15 years.
1: That's great. And and to give us a little bit about your background as well. Are you, um, are you an economist by training? Or are you a journalist by training? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. So I've got a PhD in political science, undergrad uh, in economics, and I've worked um, for decades in sort of the political economic world, worked for members of Congress doing economic policy, um, done this think tank work. And I recently wrote a book um, on strategies uh, to strengthen the labor movement called ReUnion.
1: That is great. Okay, all right. I'm 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 glad to hear that. That's very interesting. And is the, your work at the uh, at the you know, the Center for American Progress is that is that your full time gig, or do you work
0: anywhere else? No, that's my full time gig, or more than full time gig, I'd say.
1: I believe it. I believe it. All right. Very good. All right. So good. So, I mean, we've, we've established your background and where you work, and this is really, really, really good. So, you know, like I told you before we started recording, David, like, you know, our audience are business owners, you know, employer-owned businesses. I mean, these are, you know, you know, the people that are out there. So we, you know, many of my clients, I'm a CPA, by the way, so many of my clients have been reading about what's been going on in California. There is new, you know, legislation that just, you know, it was signed into law on Labor Day um, that you know, impacts fast food workers and fast food restaurants. So if I can ask you to maybe walk us through what that legislation is, and then we can get into what you think the impact would be. So tell us a little bit about the bill.
0: So the bill does several things, but I think the core of it is creates what's called this sectoral council or this council that brings together representatives from workers in the industry and fast food industry, as well as, employers and that includes both franchisees and franchisors as well as representatives from government a- regulators to and those the idea is that those parties are going to come together and discuss the workplace challenges around wages scheduling safety uh, and the like and they will come to an agreement and then the government will use that sort of That's that discussion to set the standards that are going to cover all workers in the industry. This is based on some models that have worked in other places that we can talk about. But really, the idea is setting standards across an industry based on participation of the key stakeholders.
1: That's really interesting. So, you know, most industries are sort of self-regulating but what's what's sort of groundbreaking about this at least you know and you I'd like to hear about some of the other examples but what's groundbreaking about this is now we're saying the government of California is saying we're going to take this commission it's going to be made up of you know representatives from the industry both employers and employees but whatever you know this commission recommends as far as safety rules for example wages minimum wages as well yeah, uh, you know, The government is going to take that and, and implement that like that's the, they're going to be setting the policy. Is that am I explaining that correctly?
0: Close. There are some boundaries that like they can't raise wages beyond a certain limit. I think it's twenty two dollars. The safety standards will need to be reviewed by the state OSHA agency, for example. But yes, the, that, the idea you are getting at is that this is um, a way. To regulate an industry that's a little bit different than just having the government say, "Here is the new the new standard that's going to going to apply."
1: Which you know, for frankly, it it makes sense to me because you know, it, everywhere else in this country, you've got the legislators that are making regulations and rules for an industry. <laughs> And these legislators don't necessarily have the knowledge, the background, the experience to in many cases know what they're talking about, right?
0: That's I think you're hitting the nail on the right on the head. And to me, that's what makes me most optimistic about this is that the participants who have the most knowledge and the most at stake, that's both the workers as well as the employers here, have a voice and a say in a way they don't normally have in setting the standards for their industry. The way they might normally have that is they have to go lobby their legislators and, and that's kind of a different, strange process. But here it's a more public, formal sort of discussion um, where you can have your arguments out. And hopefully, the, the aim is that hopefully you can come to an agreement that works for both parties. Certainly there is the backstop that the government can ulti- is the ultimate decider here. But the idea of having the employers and the workers Give their knowledge and say actually wages really need to be this, and here's how, and I think what we'll get into this, but as you know, fast food is structured a little bit differently than many industries with this franchisees and franchisors, and so having something that can work for all parties I think is really important here
1: that's great and so uh, david I, and again i if, if i'm if I'm getting too much into the weeds here, just tell me, but you know th- this actual committee um can you tell me like you know so how is this how many people on the committee? If you're, if if you know, um, and like, how is it divided up between, like, who's on this committee? Is it if I'm an employer? Well, like, who's on the committee and how many people is that, that That's the basic question.
0: Got it. So uh, there were some amendments at the last minute that I have to will have to double check. So, but the it could be round numbers shirt, by the
1: is, way, or just the concept it yeah, doesn't yeah, have so to be it's, specific.
0: It's equal numbers of employers, and that's half. Franchisees, half franchisors, and I think it's two and two. It could be one and one, okay. um, and then an equal number uh, of workers. So if 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 the if employers have two, that's two workers, um, and then the government is the same number, and I think that's also two, and that's the, the Department of Labor, the basically industrial relations um, folks. The how they'll be selected, and, and that's a little bit, you know, to be. De- determined in in sort of how this works out. But the idea is that the leading industry representatives, the franchise association um, and the lead brands will sort of pick their representatives. The workers will pick their representatives.
1: What do you think? Like we we talked about some of the benefits to this, which, you know, again, you're, you're having people representing an industry from all different size. They're, you know, suggesting what the regulations that would be, you know, coming from experience. What do you think are some of the downsides to something like this? Like, what would be your concerns um, if you're an employee or if you're an employer?
0: Well, I think the the concerns from both, especially employers, but uh, also workers, is that this is a little bit new and different, and how is it going to work? So, just that it's a different process, and that's there's some fear inherent in something sure. new, and then there's you know how it might work. And I think there, the you know the ultimate backstop here is that this government is making the final decision, and that is both a good and a bad that some might fear that they'll make decisions that they'll disregard what the workers' input is or what the employer's input is. Um, so I think that's the, the other kind of fear is that the, is that the, um, the standards might not, actually be the most useful or relevant for this industry. And that's in part this sort of this idea that the government is still ultimately setting the standards that the that the input from the key stakeholders might not be fully baked into their decisions. Got it.
1: Um, some of the criticisms of this, um, you know, people think that this committee, they're allowed, I think, like you had mentioned earlier, to increase. One of the things they can do besides safety is, is they can increase wages, uh, minimum wages up to, I think, like 22 bucks an hour, somewhere 22 and change. Um, so they have the authority to do that. And right now, I think that, you know, the maximum, you know, hourly mandated hourly wage in parts of California is $15 an hour. So, you know, it's so a lot of employers, I'm, I'm sure, are freaking out that, you know, this committee is immediately going to turn around and raise the wage to $22 an hour, which, you know, which could happen. Um, and then, of course, then the response is, you know, say, well, if that happens to us, we're just going to turn around and pass those costs down to consumers, to our customers. And therefore, it's going to, you know, impact all, you know, you know, it has inflationary impact and impacts on, you know, on, on consumer pricing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that will happen? Do you think that, you know, that, that 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 point of view makes sense?
0: So I think, you know, trying to get at what's the likely impact of this legislation, and I think the most likely is going to raise standards in a lot of ways. The wages right. will, will increase. They could raise to increase to 22. We don't know. They, the safety standards will probably improve. But, but And then what's the, what's the impact of that? So the workers, I think that's sort of a pretty obvious story, um, is that not only their standards raised, but, and hopefully we'll get into this a little bit later, but I also think that the standards are more likely to be complied with in this case than some other kinds of laws that, have gone into effect, but also then from the employer's perspective, what, what's going to happen? Well, you know, most likely, yes, this will lead to higher labor costs for them. Now that doesn't, there's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation because you're also most likely going to reduce turnover with, with this turnover in fast True. food is about a hundred is about hundred percent a year. So you have better labor standards and you're going to have a little bit lower turnover. Therefore, some of your costs are going to go down but obviously some of your labor costs are going to go up as well. So the impact, you know, the best we can sort of estimate are based on other studies of things like when the minimum wage was increased and yeah, that'll probably increase labor costs a little bit. Now, some of that might go into higher prices. Some of that might go into reduced profits. Some of that, you know, will be efficiency that actually you get a more productive workforce or you change how you uh, do your business that you might move your counter service around a little bit or, uh, you know, improve improve the productivity of, of the, the shop. And this is where I think the advantages of this system is that the franchisees under a current system, they have very little ability to have a discussion with their brand owners about, because right now, you know, they, they're they locked into paying certain, they have to be open certain hours. They have to have certain, uh, have to pay the prices for meals have to be a, a set thing. They have very little flexibility. And so if they face increased labor costs, they really get squeezed. Here, they can at least have some negotiation and discussion with them. Actually, we need to set things up like this in order for us to still be profitable.
1: That's great, that's great, um, do you think you'd mention one of the one of the ways i mean you, you were saying that prices you know certainly they could pass down price increases to consumers it could take a piece out of their profits or um if they're facing higher labor costs, they can uh, you know you know, do something to improve their efficiencies and their productivity um many fast food companies many, well many businesses across the country are investing in technologies robotics self service um to uh, to, to really offset some of the, you know, the, the, you know, lack of labor that they're, that they're experiencing right now. Do you, do you think, I mean, this is just you personally, David, so, you know, just as a sort of, you know, somebody who writes and covers this stuff, do you think something like this, um, will, will encourage even more fast food businesses to, um, lower their workforce, you know, you know, get rid of labor, um, and, you know, and replace them with more self-service kiosks or, uh, you know, robotic flipping, hamburger flipping machines in the back kitchen. You know, is that? Do you think that's more of an incentive for them to do that? And if that's the case, does it potentially have the opposite effect of what it's trying to achieve?
0: Yeah, I think the incentives for employers are already to reduce labor costs and and shift towards greater technologic technology utilization. That's that's been the driving force for uh, you know advancement in the standard of living for hundreds of years. This is why and how we can have all the advances we have is that we've just become more productive as a society. And so, yes, but anything that additionally increases labor costs provides an additional incentive to use more technology, become more productive. So, But I don't think this is a fundamental shift. And you hear some people claiming this is going to be a fundamental change. I view this as a very much of an incremental shift in that you're slightly higher labor costs there. So you have a slightly higher incentive to find labor reduction elsewhere. So I I would imagine this is just, you know, very much akin to the kind of changes we've seen from other related policies when we've had a higher minimum. You know, when when people, we went to 15 in some city or New York was the first, and fast food actually went in I think 2015. And you heard similar cries. We're going to get. We're going to automate everything. And there's. And no, that didn't really happen. Certainly, there, there's more automation today than there was then. But and so I would estimate and guess that this is a pretty similar trajectory.
1: Yeah, I I could agree with you more. You know, whenever some stuff like this legislation is announced or whatever, it, it's so there's this knee jerk reaction. A lot of people yelling and screaming that it's going to have this widespread, huge impact. You know, businesses are going to be firing their employees left and right, and replacing them with robots and whatever. And um, to some extent, that you know that will happen. But it's never it is you know as you know you know as, as crazy an effect as people expect it to have. Um, you know, these things have an impact, but it's not as significant as they
0: they yeah, imagine. And, and I right? Can I just add one more thing? Sure. The thing we would expect to have the biggest impact on automation was COVID. Like there was yeah. workers, and, and and it certainly. Encourage some automation, but it wasn't it, this radical shift. And you know, COVID was just so transformative in a way. And even if that didn't didn't change the entire structure of the industry, I'm very skeptical of any claim that says it's going to be yeah, a big radical shift.
1: That is like a perfect example. Like I still, you know, I I still go to the same restaurants here. I live in Philadelphia, and I still go to the same restaurants, and it's. Pretty much the same operation as it was before. A little bit more, maybe there's a QR code, you know, that I can bring up my menu that way. Or maybe now the person's coming to our table with a handheld, finally, like they do all in Europe, they're finally bringing handheld devices to pay. Fine. But it hasn't been this monumental. I'm not walking into like a, you know, fully automated restaurant with robots serving me my food. So I think you're exactly right. It's, It's just not, it's just never as much as people say it is. Um... The CEO of McDonald's was on CNBC like a week or two ago and had uh, was saying that like this fast food bill is going to is unfairly targeting big businesses, you know, the the big friends, you know, big chains. And then I have other people that cover the industry and they say, oh, no, no, no. It's really going to impact small businesses, you know, because a lot of the franchises are independently run and, you know, they have one or two locations or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is like is just unfair in any way to big business or to small business or not unfair
0: no i mean i i think if you believe like i do that the working conditions in fast food were not very good low wages low benefits incredibly high turnover meaning that there was just churn that most people didn't want these kind of jobs in fact you know it's like the they they the symbol for poor working conditions is a McJob. So if you believe that, and you think that you want to improve that, that the current conditions was not acceptable, then um, I think most of the complaints that you hear are really like, is this from the, especially from the McDonald's, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll throw out the big, the big companies will say, this is the worst thing. And then they'll put out whatever argument, whether it's the big guys are gonna do bad or the small guys, to just oppose any change. I don't think it's going to be, I I don't think it's actually, I think it's targeting an industry that needs to reform and improve. Um, And it's targeting an industry where at the same time those working conditions have been poor, the profit margins for the large corporations have been quite high. The profit margins for the franchisees are not that good. They're relatively low. And so that makes that makes improving working conditions through other kinds of policies quite difficult because the employer uh, of record, the franchisee, has relatively little ability to raise wages, and this system gives them a little bit of a voice to say, "Here's what we need to actually be able to raise wages."
1: It's great. You know, you mentioned about um, the impact on, on other industries, and, and you, know, you, 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 you know, like how fast food industries need some reform. Do you think that this legislation, and we're just talking about California right now, will have a, any kind of a spillover effect into other industries meaning that um you know if I'm running if I'm in the retail business and I'm used to paying 15 bucks an hour and now these hourly workers at fast food chains can make 22 bucks an hour, that's going to push my wages up as well. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yes, I do think there'll be several kinds of spillover. So there's the spillover you talk about that the kinds of workers who might be in one low wage industry or another low wage industry, that the wages will not just increase in fast food, but some comparable workers will probably also see higher uh, compensation. But also I think the policy model that's developed here uh, could spread as well, and to other industries, other low wage industries, and not just in California. And that's where I think that's among the reasons I think that the opposition is making such sort of strange and, and overstated claims is that they see this not just as uh, a change potentially to fast food, but it could potentially impact a lot of other low wage industries because many low wage industries have similarly what we call fissured structures where the big brand has lots of power but doesn't necessarily have uh an employment relationship with lots of the lower wage workers.
1: That's a great answer. Is there, um, you know, you mentioned about that spillover effect and, you know, and it could have policy, you know, repercussions, you know, in other industries and elsewhere in the country. I mean, California has legislated this now. Are you aware of any other states that are further along in a similar type of legislation? So, you know, our listeners are listening to this saying, is that going to this kind of thing affect me and my state?
0: Yeah. So, um, oh, since as I mentioned, New York State in 2015 um, used a similar kind of policy to raise wages for fast food workers to $15 an hour. Now, it didn't cover this board that they used was not as big or robust and as what's uh, in in California. But since that 2015 bill, a, a handful of other cities and states have passed this related kind of legislation. So Seattle has, for example, a domestic worker standards board, Um, Detroit recently passed one, and then Nevada has a nursing home board. So there's a, a handful of cities and states that have done something related, but what California is bigger and more important and sort of the board is more powerful and handles more issues and a bigger industry than others. So it's that we can see what's likely to happen from some of these other recent cities and states, but um, also note that California's fast food bill is really bigger and different, too.
1: Are you aware of this outside of the U.S., any similar types of things being done successfully or unsuccessfully?
0: Yes, and so it you know it depends how <laughs> wide you, you cast your glance. So it, at some level, this is trying to model uh, what sort of sectoral bargaining looks like in some countries. And uh, that's where instead of unions negotiating with just the individual workplace, they negotiate standards for a broad industry. And that is Denmark is kind of the classic example. And their fast food workers for actually many years have already earned $22 an hour and have good benefits, they get their schedules weeks in advance, all of the kinds of things that we associate with good jobs they have in fast food. They also still have profitable employers and all of those kinds of things Mm. as well. So that's one model, but that doesn't really have the direct government involvement like the California model. And that you have to look a little bit towards what Britain used to have and what Australia used to have, um, both got rid of them for political reasons, sort of conservatives took power and got rid of these kind of boards, but they used to have this tripartite setting wage setting um, that really, in my view, the study sort of indicated it tended to work that not only did you have better working conditions for the workers but also employers were still making profits and the you know com- the economy was growing and all of the things you might hope for.
1: You know, it's funny. I mean, listen, I'm a I'm a business owner myself with 10 employees and, you know, we have hundreds of, you know, our our clients, you know, you know, in also similar situation. So honestly, I'm always like sort of like a pro business sort of point of view, David. But to me, like something like this, like makes sense to me. It's just a it is not a um, rather than having to lobby. You mentioned this earlier, rather than lobby your government's, you know, officials. You know, you have a, you know, hopefully an independent board that includes people from government, but also, you know, employers and employees as well that can just make better decisions for an industry on the whole. Um, People don't like change. I get that. But coming from an academic background yourself and studying this, do do you agree? Like, do you think this is a good model for, you know, for better practices between government employees and employers going forward? Just your, your own personal take.
0: Yes, I I absolutely do. I'm a big, big fan. And there's a couple of reasons I'm such a big fan. So the and especially you mentioned sort of small businesses, sort of that's your perspective. In a lot of other countries that have similar kinds of programs, in fact, some of the biggest proponents for these kinds of systems are actually small businesses because they feel that one, it gives them an actual voice in the standard setting. Otherwise, they're just reactive to what other uh, bigger players have have set But also it creates a level playing field for them to compete on. Then they're competing based on their productivity and their sort of efficiency and systems. And they're not handling all these other. Here's what the labor call. I don't have to have these negotiations with my employees. That's just what I pay. This is just the standards. And so they like that. And um, but that leads to some of these bigger macro effects, which is why I'm also a particular fan is. The, this idea of stand, you know, having a more standard wage setting policy you know, really does tend to lead towards higher productivity across the economy, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is just sort of more efficient allocation of capital, but also um, you tend to have better labor relations. Because you're not necessarily having these fights at a workplace about what the compensation is. Here's what the compensation is, and then your you know, your team is like, okay, these are the broader conditions. How do we most effectively move forward with this? It also creates incentives for training workers more because you're not the as an employer, you're less worried about your employee your employee getting poached because the standards uh, at the competitor are going to be similar, They're not just going to get picked off. So you're going to want to train and invest in your workforce and hopefully. Uh, you have a more easy path to keep them.
1: David Madland is a senior fellow and senior advisor for the, um, the American worker project at the center for American progress. Um, David, what is, how do people reach out to you if they want to find out more, or how can they follow
0: you? Well, I'm on Twitter at David Madland. Um, I've also I emailed on the web, you Google me, my name. There aren't too many with my, with my name. Uh, so yeah, I'd be happy to, uh, to uh, respond to any
1: comments. Fair enough. Fair enough. David, thank you very much for joining. Really helpful. We'll be following this legislation closely and I'm following you on Twitter, so I'll be keeping up on this. Um, I think it's really important for a lot of businesses to be aware of. So again, thank you for your time.
0: No, thank you for having me.
1: Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care.
0: This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2022 All Rights Reserved.